This is David's Book Talk, bringing authors and book lovers together in a unique way since 2009. Visit us at davidsbooktalk.com and join the conversation at facebook.com slash davidsbooktalk. But first, pull up a chair, relax, and enjoy today's episode. Here's your host, David English. Hello and welcome to David's Book Talk and we have a very special guest today. She's a New York Times best-selling author, has been for years. Her new book is called The Hunt and her name is Faye Kellerman. I'm sure you recognize the name. Hello. Hi David, how are you? Hi, what a book this is. It's a little different. <laughs> a little different. <laughs> I think a lot different is more descriptive. <laughs> I mean... The characters are still there, and the, and the Rena and Peter are still there. But it's <laughs> you got some very, very interesting characters, to say the least, in this book. Yeah, just the book, I, I kind of, I, I knew I was going to end, or at least take a hiatus with, with this plot. I've been thinking about it for years, and uh, I wanted to do something different, and indeed I did. But I still kept it within the genre and within the mystery uh, crime fiction field. It's just a little different. You are you're so good with con with conversational writing with back and forth. It, I mean, it, it just flows so nicely. Thank you, thank you. And, and that can't be easy to do. I mean, dialogue, what I meant to say was dialogue, really. But dialogue is not easy to do. You're either good at it or you're not good at it, in my opinion, um, anyway. I, I come from a musical family, so I have a good ear. But in fact, characters, I mean, Peter has been talking to me for years. And as I said, this is a book I always wanted. Features Peter and Rena, of course, they have to be there, but it centers around uh, the big, I won't even call it a subplot, I'll call it a co-plot, centers around their foster son, Gabe uh, Whitman's parents, which are, which the characters have appeared in uh, since their inception in justice from time to time, uh, Chris Donati and uh, Terry McLaughlin. So you have their relationship, which is quite dysfunctional, versus um, Peter and Rena's um, very functional of uh, 30, 35-year marriage. And the compare and the contrast is just so much fun. I'll bet. I mean, Chris Donati, what a character. I mean, this is a, <laughs> this is a character that's, I mean, I'm laughing, but he's a very serious and a very demented man, <laughs> to say the he least. Is very, he is very demented. I, he, of course, uh, shows up in um, Justice. And you learn in justice that he is actually a hitman. And hitmen in uh, fiction have been portrayed sometimes as guys with a heart or sometimes with guys that are, uh, you know, broken but you can fix them. This is a completely broken individual. He's very psychopathic and he's mean. And they are, if you go around killing people or you have that capacity, you're a mean nasty, horrible person. However, he is not without some qualities. And that is what I really wanted to uh, represent, a person um, who is truly psychopathic, 
I'm sorry, but not without uh, redeeming qualities. Yeah, you know, we feel for him. Despite the fact of how he is, we still feel for him. We still, you know, when something bad happens, we still... But at the same time, we're, we there are times we really hate him. Just like his, uh, just like uh, Terry does, um, you go back and forth, and that's the fun of it: is manipulating characters and manipulating your readers' emotion. You really want to hate this guy, but then at times you really like this guy because he has some redeeming uh, qualities. Specifically, in the beginning, where um, Terry has nobody to turn to, but even after eleven, twelve years, this guy picks up everything and goes to her uh, rescue. Exactly. Uh, hopefully, you don't know anybody like that. In, this is in real life, Kristen. <laughs> you have to have a wicked, wicked imagination to write crime fiction. And when you write about murders and reasons for murders, and when you see uh, a lot of um, and read a lot about uh, psychopathy, there there seems to be patterns. Uh, uh, you don't really have to know somebody to understand this kind of mind. I think you just have to open yourself up and be aware. And as all writers do, you have to put yourself in the mindset of the characters. I mean, I've been writing from Peter Decker's point of view for, you know, 35 years, and this is a six foot four man, and I am a five foot two woman. Uh, but I can put myself in Peter's mindset. And like you said, with dialogue, it's actually a tape recorder or VCR or whatever you want to call it these days that's inside your head where these characters are actually talking to you. It's like I do know them, even though they're fictional. Mm -hmm. do you, but do you, as you're writing, do you know everything that's going to happen to them, or do things come to you as you're writing? Do you suddenly say, oh, no, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen? Or do you know everything before you write it? Uh, no, you never know everything before you write it because your characters do talk to you and they do surprise you. Some books are plotted more meticulously. I mean, after a 35-year career, and I think about 25 or 30 books with these characters, some of them are plotted very meticulously. Others of them are plotted loosely, and we kind of see where, I kind of see where it goes and where the characters lead me. But there's always change in the writing process. You can't help it because things come to you. Um, other things that you thought that you might put in there later don't make any sense, so you have to take them out. There's always a reconciliation between the start of the book and the ending of the book um, uh, because things don't uh, flow in a linear fashion. They're, they take twists and turns. And sometimes those, um, you know, directions really throw you for a loop, and you just have to kind of go with it. Right, and there's there's like two hunts in this book. The book's called The Hunt, but there's like two hunts. You you got uh, the hunt for a killer, and you got a hunt for a, a child, basically. Exactly. Um, it, that's why the I think the title is kind of appropriate. Peter does his thing, um, and he's very intuitive and very meticulous and that kind of um, 
planning uh, with Peter has taken me through 35 novels or 30 novels where you can see his thought process. He's a really interesting guy to write because he's deliberate, but yet at the same time he's intuitive. Then the subplot is, of course, and you learn about that in in the first introduction or in the first chapter, is um, uh, Terry's child, they, uh, their foster son, biological mother, is Terry McLaughlin, and her other child has been kidnapped because her husband owes a lot of money, a lot, a lot, a lot of money, and he's not paying it back, so they're using the child as a ransom. And so you've got those two elements that are kind of fighting each other, and you've got these two men who have always gone toe-to-toe with each other uh, trying to uh, rectify these two situations of a found body and how did it get there, and this kidnapped child, and what are we going to do to save this child? And at the end, it all comes together, I hope, in in a very shocking way. Right, right. Yeah, I, I really loved reading this book. In fact, it took a long time to read it because I, I loved going back to it and getting back into oh, the story again. And I like I, I like the fact there's two different stories in there. I think it's I think with just one it wouldn't have been as interesting. Uh, I really feel that the second one adds a lot to it to the story. Absolutely. And it was written that way. Had I just read it as a strictly you know Peter and Decker, Peter Decker. Uh, and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, Tyler McAdams just solving a crime, it would have been a little bit less straightforward. But as I said, this is kind of the book that I've always wanted to write, a very twisted book. It's fun to write twisted characters. And rather than have, like, a Hannibal Lecter go with... Um, uh, with uh, against Peter, it's more fun if the Hannibal Lecter is kind of um, a good guy in a way. He's mean. He's horrible. He he is in the past has killed people. He's a brothel owner. He um, somebody said that this book was misogynistic. I don't really think so. I think the men come across in Chris's life as 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 bad as maybe some of the women and the women are more sympathetic in my mind they're, they you know his um, his sex workers are very haunted and very uh, uh, human and I think Terry relates to them more on one on one than the men than the men who go to be serviced by these women so um I admit that in some ways but I don't think it's misogynistic I think that's the wrong word. There are people who are misogynistic in there, but they're not portrayed as particularly um, positive characters. I, I mean, I wasn't thinking that when I was reading it. No, not not really. And I, I don't. I, everybody has their own opinion. We, we can't we can't stop what people think. You know, the people are going to think what they think. What? <laughs> right. But obviously, you're doing something right after after the amount of time you've spent writing. I mean, people like your books, obviously, or you wouldn't still be published. Uh, I my fans are the greatest. Uh, they have uh, some of my long term fans have just been around for ages. They have written to me for ages, and they come out and they buy the books or you know uh, take it. Uh, uh, from their Kindle or whatever, it's been 
a wonderful, wonderful ride, and my fans have just been fantastic in supporting me. Uh, you can tell after this book that uh, if I'm not ending the series, I'm taking a hiatus for a while. I, I need to just concentrate on other things. So, um, but that's not to say that Peter will never come back. Um, you have an active imagination. You always are thinking about things. And I do think about, well, Peter's doing this. What Maybe this will happen and maybe that will happen. But for a while, I'm not... Uh, I'm going to take a hiatus and concentrate on other things. So what? I wonder what your fans will think about that. Well, they, they, they won't have a Peter book next year or the year after, or maybe they will. I mean, what? What? How will they react to that? I don't know. Um, they can write to me, and we can <laughs> find out. But uh, uh, I, I, I honestly don't know. I just have to take a deep breath. Uh, Peter is uh, getting on 70. I just turned 70. So a case that he has to take on has to be very suited for a person of his experience and very suited to a person in his stage of life. But I, I have ideas. I have ideas. Like I said, they come to you even if you're not looking for it because People just talk in your head. You have a whole internal world inside your brain uh, when you're a writer. You have to. Um, and even though writing um, is a um, discipline and sometimes it goes easier than others, the ideas never stop. And you're not tired of writing? No, I'm not tired of writing. I just at this point want to concentrate on, especially after COVID, and this book was written um, for its size pretty quickly. I, I need to take a, a long breather. I want to, I have a lot of grandchildren, I have children, I have hobbies, I have uh, things that I want to do, there's travel out there. So I, I now that the world has opened up again, um, I want to take advantage a little bit of that doorway. I want to cross that doorway. Right now, as you mentioned, I think it, this book comes out on August 23rd. Is that correct? I believe so, yes. Yeah, that's what so people out there know exactly when they can find it in all the bookstores. But like I said, I mean, is this your longest book, by the way? I think my longest book actually was a standalone called The Quality of Mercy. The Quality of Mercy. Oh, yeah, that's, been a, that's been a long time, hasn't it? But it's, it's definitely the longest Peter Rena book. Um, it just, um, there, as you say, there's two co-plots that are competing for time and energy, and both had to be developed. So it, it, took, it took a while, and then you have to figure out how to integrate the two, and because they seem very, very separate. When my husband was reading, he said, they're, they're great, they're both in How are you going to get this together? And I said, I, I, I think I have a way. So... There you go. You're a very smart lady. I mean, that's what it comes across when I talk to you. And obviously, from your writing, you'd have to be pretty intelligent to come up with these plots time after time after time and make them interesting every time. That's not easy to do. Uh Thank you very, very much for the compliment. It isn't easy to do, especially when you have fixed characters. Peter is not going to radically change. Rena is not going to radically change. Even Terry and... Uh, 
Christopher Donati. Since um, justice, they have developed their own kind of personalities, and you can't suddenly make a psychopath nice. Uh, but what you can do is throw them into new situations, novel situations where they've never been, and see how they react. And that's the whole thing in a crime fiction thing. He's going to be a detective. Peter is a detective. But each case is different, so each case demands a different um, pathway in Peter's thinking, and that's what's interesting. I can't remember, when did Tyler McAdams come into the, has he been around for a while? I can't quite remember. Uh, he came in with The Burnt House, which was about seven books ago. And that's a great book, by the way. Oh, thank you so, so much. Um, I moved Peter out of L.A. because he was kind of at that um, kind of iffy retirement stage. And I wanted to put him into some place that was more, you know, um, idyllic or bucolic, that kind of setting, where he'd be in a police department that maybe the worst things that would happen would be knocking down mailboxes or a cat up a tree. <laughs> but when a serious crime happens, uh, they're not used to happen. Uh, they're not used to dealing with that. But Peter is a big city homicide detective, so he could handle it. Usually when small towns, real small towns like that, have major crimes, they call in the state police or somebody else to help um, deal with it because they're not suited to do it. But Peter is single-handedly done so many of these things that he and big city cop moves to small town, he's able to handle it. So that was an interesting thing in and of itself, where he would be almost the complete um, show from the beginning, from the beginning cop who goes to the body to the um, homicide detective who solves it. It was just a good fit for me to move them, and I did. Now... I may have asked you this before, but I don't remember. Is or Do you bake as much as Rena does? Rena's always cooking something. <laughs> She's always in that kitchen. Do you have as much of love for the kitchen as she does? Um, there are times I really love it. There are times I really hate it. But as a traditional Jewish woman, um, not that men don't cook, uh, Jonathan does. But not a lot. I'm just the one who's used to cooking. So it's actually Jonathan's uh, birthday when this is being recorded. Oh, and, um, happy birthday, Jonathan. Thank you. And I'm baking him pies, and I'm going to have a barbecue, and we're going to do all that stuff. So, I, yes, the, the short answer is yes, I do a lot of cooking, and uh, I love to experiment in the kitchen. It's very... Wonderful, because you can, uh, that's one of the times you really can multitask. I can't multitask, like, write and watch television at the same time or listen to a conversation. If I'm listening to a conversation and there's any other background noise, I can't concentrate. If I'm watching a television show and somebody's talking to me or commenting, it, I don't hear it. I'm so focused on what it is. But I can't oh, yeah. make it at the same time. Yeah, I have the same problem. It's 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 hard to do do two things at once. So I, I try to read while I'm watching TV, and I always end up picking one over the other. And 
Usually, usually sometimes it's TV. Sometimes it depends on how I feel. But it was yeah. hard. It was very hard to put your book down because I'm I'm so enjoying it. I just enjoy the flow of the story. You must have a very good editor because your your stories flow like, or either that or you're just super talented. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. No, I actually, I mean, my editing is always fantastic, but it's me. It's me. This, this, as I said, I had thought about this this situation for a while. So uh, it was during COVID, and I had no distractions. And boom, it just flowed. And that's great. I love the fact that it's got a maze on the cover. <laughs> is that a real uh, maze or is that just a picture of a maze? I think they took an actual photograph and then uh, superimposed the title. It is a maze. The story really kind of goes back and forth, not only between the two co-plots, but it goes, uh, it's, there's twists and turns in each of the co-plots. So you, you've got... Uh, You've, you've got to pay attention to follow it to see kind of where it's coming and where it's going. And, of course, in the co-plot in Bravo, I, I think it's very interesting to write um, a book that's centered around such a, a crazy business as, as that is. And that uh, Disneyland Bravo, which is, totally comes from the imagination. I, I don't know if there's a place like that. I don't know of anything. But this is where... I wanted to write it because I think it's such an unusual setting. Right. You have a, you're, I mean, Rena and Peter have a big family, so it's hard to it, <laughs> keep track of all of them. <laughs> but I, it's interesting. The first uh, sentence talks about 50 phone calls and deciding where to eat, <laughs> which I find very, very funny, actually. I mean, that's a lot it, of fun. It is. Uh, when you do have a big family, which I do, I have four children and uh, – 11 grandchildren so and they're all married uh, uh, you know they're all they're all the grandchildren are from the different four children so there's just a ton of moving parts when you try to get together it is really difficult um i had a birthday recently and i wanted all my uh, daughters and my daughter-in-law to come with me so that's the of four girls, and this one has a sick kid, and that one has that, and, and there's always, um, is it going to happen or is it not going to happen, or is it good for this people? Because when they're all working, they all have other things to do as well. So, yeah, a big family is really hard to pin down and, and get together. Exactly. Now, why don't you describe from people out there who, uh, what the book is about exactly so they know we've been dancing all around it, but I want to hear you talk about what it's about. Um, the book centers around, as you said, two missing people. The first person is a body found in the woods. It's actually sort of a continuation of The Lost Boys. As a matter of fact, the first intro chapter is the last chapter of The Lost Boys kind of condensed, and um, I kind of left that hanging because I knew I wanted to um, continue it on here. Um, there would have been too many um, loose ends. I, I would have ended The Lost Boys differently. So it centers around the body where they have a, a, a lot of suspects, um, but they're not quite sure what it is. Um, that 
Lifebuoy centered around a missing, a developmentally disabled um, adult male. So there's a lot of missing people in this. As, as they're celebrating the kind of ending that they had for the Lost Boys, because they did have some um, resolution, another body is found, plus um, Gabe Whitman, who is Rena and Peter's foster child, hears from his biological mother, who's in terrible shape. It sounds like she was beaten up. And, uh, his sister, his half-sister is missing. His half-brother is missing. He's trying to get, make sense of it, and it doesn't come. She's not making any sense. She's on the West Coast. Um, Gabe is on the East Coast. He can't get to her. So um, they wind up calling Gabe's dad who has a jet and who lives uh, much closer to um, the West Coast than Gabe does. And he, that's Christopher, and his relationship with his wife and his ex-wife has always been very tumultuous. So they um, resume their relationship in a very twisted fashion. And uh, in the meantime, he's... Uh, He's helping her. He's helping her in a lot of different ways. And it's it's just an interesting relationship. As I said, it's contrasting kind of a very dysfunctional relationship with a very functional relationship. And as anybody knows out there, it's more fun to read dysfunctional dysfunctionality. And it's more fun to see crazy characters than it is normal, healthy, wonderful characters. We all want to be normal, healthy, wonderful people, but we love reading about crazy people. Hey, Chris Donati almost steals the whole book. I mean, he's so, he's so in, in the book and so evil and so and helpful, he's everything at once, and yet he he's memorable. You can't stop wanting to know more about what's going to happen to him. Chris is a real in-your-face character. Um, he is exhausting to write, just absolutely exhausting, because he enters the room and he sucks all the air out of it. Um, he just So there were times when I would write scenes with him, and I was so grateful go back to, to Peter, who just allowed me to breathe a little bit, but he's a totally captivating character. And it's interesting, because when people edit, when they went back to edit The Lost Boys or to say anything, for some reason, The Lost Boys got a sensitivity reading, which I don't believe in at all. I think they're crazy. You should be able to write characters however you feel, and... Uh, you, you don't go out to offend people, but the characters are characters. And um, mm -hmm. it, it went fine. The sensitivity reading went fine. But they thought they thought they needed it because uh, in The Lost Boys, one of the main characters, as I said, was a developmentally disabled adult. But when I got to the very end of it, and you go into Chris's mind, who's just absolutely evil and crazy, and you start hearing how he thinks, I got no editing because they're so fascinating by this guy. They don't even know where to come from. He's so out there. Like my editor says, he he really is the other. Hmm. Well, he certainly is something, something other. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. <laughs> Would you say he's the most interesting character you've ever written? 
say my most interesting character has to be Decker. He's just been with me. He's my most beloved. Decker and Rena as a pair are my most beloved character. He is the most out there, recurrent, interesting character that I have. And I don't... I just kept on finding places where he would fit in nicely. He's in there. He's in a book called uh, Stone Kiss. He's in a couple of other uh, books that I had in the past. Decker and him have had this push-me-pull-you relationship for about 25 years. He starts out as an 18-year-old boy, and he develops from there. So, uh, yeah, he's a really, really interesting character. And Terry... It's a really good person to bounce this crazy character off of because she is the one person who he really does care about. Um, the whole other world for him are just people to be used, but he actually goes out of his way to help this woman as he did in Justice when she was a girl. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, there's it's, it's some just interesting to read. The more you read, the more interesting it gets, and you're just you're just caught up in the whole story, which is exactly what you want to feel when you read a book. Thank you. Do you have yeah. time to read a lot? Uh, I do. I especially uh, on the Sabbath, which is Saturday for us. I don't do much of anything. I don't watch TV. I don't you know go anywhere. Uh, except if it's to synagogue and back. And I don't do that as much as I used to. So I, I wind up reading. I read newspapers, magazines, but I, I do read a lot of nonfiction. And occasionally I will read um, some fiction. I haven't read fiction in a while, specifically because when you're writing fiction, you don't want to inadvertently steal something from something else. Plus, nonfiction gives you a lot of ideas, uh, not just with fine writing, but in life in general, uh, I subscribe to a couple birding magazines, I do National Geographic, I, uh, and I read a lot, a lot of history, which gives me hope because no matter how bad things are, or we perceive things as being bad or out of control, there were many, many periods in this country's life and in the world that were far, far worse. So it gives you context, which makes you a happier person. Yeah, you have to find things that make you happy. I mean, day to day, you wake up, you look forward to things. You have to have things to look forward to. And that's what makes life fun. I mean, and... You know, I look forward to books coming. I look forward to TV shows coming. I look forward to seeing my friends, having my book club meeting. I mean, there's so many things you have, but you have to have that. If you get up every morning and you don't have things to do like that, it it's scary sometimes. Yeah, I've always been uh, relentlessly positive, and uh, you can live life however you want to live, but I choose to see the best in people and the best in situations and the best in things, period because it, it just it makes me happy. That's the kind of person I am, um, which is weird because I'm writing such dark fiction. But, um, you know, in my everyday life, I, I wake up with a smile, and Jonathan and I have our cup of coffee in the morning where we talk about situations that either we have control over or have no control over. But it, it's a very nice way to center yourself in the morning and uh we we have just a lot, a lot of fun. 
Right. Now, he's, he's still writing, right? Is he still writing the Alex Delaware books? Oh, he has certainly uh, has. He's just finished one, and I think his new one comes out in February, and he's still writing with my son, Jesse, and theirs, I think, comes out in August. This year, I'm not sure if it's this August or next August, but he's busy writing. Um, he really loves it, and he has a lot more Delaware stories to tell. So, uh, And each one that I read is great. So, yes, he's still actively writing. But it's uh, he got so far ahead during COVID that we take a lot of time out to travel and to do things together, which is uh, really, really fun. Like, for instance, for our 50, we had our 50th anniversary just oh. recently, oh, wow. which is yeah, that's a long time to be married, um, married period, and it, it was consecutive. It was not, you know, sequential. Uh, we, he arranged for a uh, tour of the Huntington Library in Pasadena, and we saw some really wonderful, rare manuscripts, and for uh, a, a writer and a reader, it was just a thrill. They have huge archives of everything, so they kind of cherry-picked what they wanted to show us, which was a uh, fraction of a fraction of a fraction of books that they had, but what we saw was really interesting. So, you know, that's, that to a writer is a wonderful anniversary gift. I wonder what people would find. Is there anything you could tell me right now that people would be surprised to hear about you, do you think? normal person um, I, I mean I have my quirks everybody does but the fact that I can write a Chris Donati and a Terry McLaughlin does not mean that I have had any direct experience with this kind of uh, relationship so I am a person with a really vivid imagination and it has carried me through throughout my life I always started out that way i always had a big uh, imagination. I, from the time I was three or four, I remember making up stories. But I was a math science major uh, because when I got to school, uh, it took me a while to learn how to read. I'm dyslexic. Uh, not uh, phonetically dyslexic. Uh, and once I memorize a word, I know what the word is, but it's, I, I, I twist letters occasionally. Uh, when I do crosswords, I'm, I'm constantly reading words wrong because I superimpose a letter that shouldn't be there. And even in Hebrew, I mean, I, I, it took me a while to get any sort of fluency with Hebrew. I'm, I'm far from fluent, but any sort of uh, uh, familiarity with it because I, I kept on... It's hard for me to sound out words, and Hebrew is a very phonetic language, and I, I do superimpose uh, letters even and um, reverse letters even in that language. So that's, but I've always been grouped with numbers, so that's why I was a math science major. I have a DDS, which uh, I've never used, but uh, it came in very handy because it took gross anatomy and allowed me to know what a body looks like. So... Um, Maybe those are a few things that people didn't know about me. Mm, interesting. And, uh, here I am. Is there any interest in making a TV series out of your Irina and Peter? Uh, Peter, people talk. 
And people, you know, say maybe um, not quite now at the moment. I've had held umpteen meetings. They usually don't go anywhere. Um, this series would be hard to make uh, a, a TV series out of because so much of it is internal thoughts. Some of my standalone books I've had some interest but they usually don't pay me enough to be able, if you want to ruin my book, okay, you can ruin it, but you at least have to pay me for it. If you're paying, if you're not paying me anything or it's a very small amount, I'm not going to let you ruin my book. So here we are, and uh, the networks um, and the cable companies like, you know, uh, Showtime and... Um, uh, Netflix and, and all those, yeah. Amazon, they, they get their own content. What they do a lot of is buy foreign content for next to nothing, and sometimes it hits, like Stissel was a big one, and sometimes it doesn't. So um, that's not my primary interest. My primary interest is writing uh, books that my readers will enjoy. It would be interesting to see how they would do it if they were... If they did, I mean, we, you always wonder what it would be like. I mean, I do anyway. When I'm reading a series, I always think, I wonder what they'd look like on the TV screen, and what, whether it would feel like the book. I don't. I don't think it ever really completely feels like the book, but you just wonder that's, who would play the parts and what. That's what. what I'm sorry. So wonderful. That's what's so wonderful to think about a book because you can kind of. Uh, decide, uh, each reader can kind of decide what um, their character looks like. And sometimes you see a character like Jack Reacher and, and, and you know, Tom Cruise played, and a lot of people did not like the fact that Tom Cruise was Jack Reacher. They did not see Jack Reacher as Tom Cruise. So uh, mm -hmm. this way, you can imagine whatever you want it to be. Right. And it doesn't hurt to, I mean, people still will read the books, which is great. You know, it doesn't, hopefully never affects the sales of your books, but you always seem to want. So you don't read any, you don't read a lot of current fiction. I find that interesting because you must have days where you, you want to read fiction. You just don't want to be influenced. But I mean, you must have days where you hear about a book and you want to read it. Oh, sure. There are books, uh, Usually they are books that are not crime fiction books. They are more uh, books that uh, general fiction. But they, uh, there are, of course, you know, some crime fiction books that uh, come out that I, I really want to read, and I do read. I just don't tend to read it when I'm writing, and uh, it takes me a long time to write a book, so I'm writing a lot. So. Uh, I don't read fiction when I. Um, but here's yeah. a, here's a something I'm wondering about Cindy. Will Cindy ever have her own book again? And she had one already, didn't she? Have one book where she was the. She had two. She had Stalker and she had Street Trick. Okay, there were two. Okay, I've forgotten the second one. But is there is there another Cindy book coming? There may be. There may be. I never say never. It's not immediately in the. Um, in the cards, but, you know, she's a pretty developed character in this book, and you can see where she's going, and uh, to write a book with her as the main character and her family, which is uh, a very diverse family, would be very interesting. But you don't have an idea yet? No, no. not yet. 
That's interesting. But maybe. But you never know. You could wake up tomorrow with an idea. Maybe I sp inspired something by just asking you about it. Who knows? That is true. And she's a, she and Decker have a, a Cindy Decker, um, Cindy Coutiel is uh, Decker's daughter from his first marriage. And they have a wonderful, wonderful relationship. And she, too, is a cop. And, uh, you know, she's been a cop for a long time. She's in Philadelphia right now. Where she will end up, I do not know. But there's still stories to be told. I just have to figure out if I'm the right one to tell them and when is the right time and what vehicle to put them into because every character needs their own space. Um, even within the book, when you put a character in that scene, it's because the character belongs in that scene. Right. And that's what's fun. You can't force a, you can't force a character who doesn't fit into a story into a story. Exactly. You have to have that character, uh, a reason for that character to be there. And sometimes you try to force it or sometimes, um, and it doesn't work. It never works. You go back and you go, no, this isn't working. But, but when it does work, it's wonderful. It's just such a wonderful way to uh, fit it in, you know. So are you working on anything right now? No. Uh, right at this particular time, I'm taking a right. creative, okay. and uh, I really need to recharge my uh, batteries and refresh my brain. And if something comes out of this hiatus, that's fine. Um, if I need a little bit longer, that's fine, too. So we'll see where it goes. Yeah, I'm, I'm always curious to know if any, if you're working on anything. I mean, it seems like Stephen King's always working on the book, no matter what time of year it is. He's always got something in the pipeline, and I, you start to think, well, maybe every author's like that, but obviously they're not. Sometimes you need a break. Uh, and Jonathan is like that. He always has something in the pipeline. I'm not saying that it's never going to happen. And as I said, ideas are starting to float around in my head because it has been a year since I've actually finished this book. But as of yet, I have not put um, sat down and put an outline. And although I, I do have a good story in mind, it's just whether I choose to write it or not whether I choose to take the energy and the time and... Do you know whether it's it's really it really could be a good book yet, or is, is it too early? I, I, no, I have a very, very good story in mind. It's whether or not I am at the psychological stage to tell the story in the way it should be told. Right. Well, at least you're honest about it. You know, people, people can't criticize you if you're honest and you need a break. Everybody needs a break sometime, don't they? Right. I, it, it has to be good. It can't be just churning it out. It has to be good. So I feel I, after, you know, the last two or three years, and I just need to catch my breath. So that's what I'm doing right now. And it's, I'm having a very good time catching my breath. I, I have to admit, it's it's wonderful to see the world in a way where you're not obligated to something. And that makes you even more creative. Right. And obviously you're happy writing. I mean, you like to write because you've been doing it for so long. And it's if you weren't enjoying it, you wouldn't be doing it. 
writing is fabulous. It's hard work. Um, it, it takes a lot of discipline, but there's nothing like letting your imagination run amok and coming up with a, a great story. And I hope I did that in the hunt, and I hope my readers will enjoy it. And uh, it's been a wonderful ride so far. Whether it's over or not remains to be seen. Probably there may be something uh, in the future, but not imminently. I can't wait to see what it is. I can't wait to see what's next. I'm sure your fans out there feel the same way. Thank you very, very much. I, I hope they do, and I love my fans. That's one thing. I love everybody who has supported me, and I thank them from the bottom of my heart. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you again. It's been a number of years, so it's good to catch up with you and see what's going on. And the book, again, is called The Hunt. It's been an absolute pleasure. I really thank you so much for the, taking the time. Thank you, David. This has been so much fun. And this has been David's Book Talk. We'll talk to you again. You have just enjoyed the podcast of David's Book Talk, brought to you by your host, book lover, David English. Please visit us at davidbooktalk.com, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and subscribe to our podcast. We want to hear from you, and we don't want you to miss our upcoming shows with top authors like Mary Higgins Clark, Patricia Cornwell, Lisa Scottolini, Jackie Collins, Nelson DeMille, Michael Connolly, Sue Grafton, Steve Martini, Dale Brown, David Baldacci.